from the Titanic reaction, I'm Tony Mangus. Be aware, these are real stories. Well, most of them are. They will contain tales of alcohol, drugs, sex, extreme violence, and language Mary Whitehouse would not approve of. Take caution when listening. This is Titanic Reaction. I'm Tony Mangus. I'm here with Defiance. For those who don't know, I was in the band in the beginning. I was on the first two singles and the first tour. I've known these guys over half my life. So if we get into some inside jokes and some weird old stories, just bear with us. So introduce yourselves and what you do in the band. Uh, well, I'm Gibby. I do vocals. Me and Tony were the original singers, and uh, now it's just me, I guess. I'm Mike, uh, original guitar player, only guitar player, I think, except for when Matt was playing guitar. Been in the band for the duration. Uh, they call me Eric Niff. Uh, I was the drummer for the first two singles, first two LPs, and uh, left the band shortly, came back, now I'm back. Yeah. I'm Matt, or Matt's, and uh, yeah, I played bass in the band. I, I played guitar in the band years ago. Um, so yeah, yep, I'm back again with them. And we're gonna play a few songs. Let's play the first one, and you guys tell us about it. This first one's off our new LP. It's called City of the Hang. The record will be out in March or April of 2022 on Puke and Vomit Records. Alaric wrote the lyrics to this one. Yeah, it's about uh, World War II and the city of Odessa. Um, just, you know, about war atrocities and genocide. Just uh, that city was called the City of the Hang. So many people were hanged and forced gallows on the streets. And uh, just about genocide and warfare. Um, here's City of the Hang. Oh, 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 
how did how did you guys get into punk? What attracted you to the subculture? Um, well, how did I get into punk? Well, I don't know. Thinking about that, it's kind of a uh, I don't know if it's a hard question to answer, but I remember like uh, when I was really young teenager, like twelve or thirteen. I know my dad lived kind of down the street from Rebel Skates here in Portland, so I hung out with those dudes a lot and would go to their skating like competitions and stuff and. They always be listening to DRI and Bad Brains and stuff. And then um, my dad was pretty cool and would take me to shows. So I've been at Pine Street and old venues. I got any flyer that looked really cool, he would take me to. So I went to a lot of the early, like, butthole surfers shows. And that just blew my mind when I was 13 to see, like, dudes wearing clear vinyl pants at heels with leg hair and their balls smashed in the tight pants. It just, like, you know, like, sex change movies on the video screen and, like, people with tits and dicks dancing in strobe lights. It's just like, oh, like, what the fuck is this? And you know, just kind of go from there, like hanging out second Avenue records and just like, you know, buying records, meeting people at Pioneer Courthouse Square and places like that. And just, I know someone always had an older brother too, who would make a mixtape or something good and just sparked my interest. Shows, especially having watched Road Warrior as a kid, I always wanted to have a mohawk and a studded jacket. How about you, Matty? Uh... Yeah, I I grew up in rural or very rural Oregon, and so <laughs> for me, like seeing like like being exposed to punk just a little bit, like I was into thrash metal at first, you know, and I was trying to play that, and I was never good enough to <laughs> to be a really good thrash metal guitar player. So I uh, a friend turned me on to punk and took me to shows in Corvallis because I grew up in Independence, Oregon, and we'd go to punk shows there. And uh, it, it was just alien to me, like seeing the way people looked and stuff. And and being from Hickville, Oregon, that was like really, I was just blown away by it. And so, so yeah, been, been doing that ever since. Eric also grew up really near you. Did like did you get or like younger punks together? Is there any kind of like interesting story there? Well, uh, for me personally, um, you know, I grew up knowing about bands like Discharge and GBH, and then, uh, but I also liked you know metal as well. But by metal, I mean death metal, thrash metal, underground stuff. Um, you know, I knew about poison idea and then later understanding about uh you know resist and deprived and it wasn't until then where i kind of put two and two together that it could be a diy thing and that it i could do this too you know i always thought it was something that other people did and there was no chance for that but for me yes i grew up in uh, this little village south of portland called uh salem I don't know if you've ever heard of it. <laughs> Little village. Not really anywhere oh, on the map. So, so lame. So lame, yeah. And we had kind of like a, a, a cool record store there called Ranch Records. Nothing to do with the food product. Um, but uh, it was kind of a it was kind of a meeting point. I'm not really sure how I met you, Matt, but we would have like there was like a big park we'd all hang out. It was like, yeah, it was kind of like gummo. It was, it kind of was like <laughs> Napoleon Dynamite, you know, where it was all these fucking freaks just kind of meeting up and 
And but with Matt, I could just tell, you know, he, he kind of understood the the whole thing. So I don't know, it just kind of clicked, you know, and he had his brothers and, you know, sisters. And we all kind of just I'd go out, and visit his parents and then we I'd see all these flyers and it really became about the records, you know. Like, oh, what's this? Oh, what's that? You know, for me, that's kind of how I, you know, then reading the lyrics and understanding. It's in the lyrics. It's in the it's lyrics. In the lyrics. It's a fucking cult figure. I do definitely I, remember when we met you, Eric, because you were playing a show at X-Ray Cafe. And you know, <laughs> your set, me and Michael, like, hey, this drummer's pretty cool. We should get him for a band. So we were dragging you off of your drum kit while you're playing. And you're like, hey, that's cool, guys. Wait, let me finish the show first. <laughs> uh, that band matt was originally in but i mean he was still in school and uh we were or jail wasn't it yeah jail or school, school. <laughs> Deader school. and uh we went out we buggered off to portland to to play and uh so we just had to substitute there was no substituting the mats but we did what we oh. could yeah I, we actually originally good. asked we were, I'm sorry, we originally asked Matt you to be in Defiance as well, and you're still like, I'm still in high school. The, the, yeah, the very first lineup, we asked Matt that he, I think you were on probation for something or something, and you couldn't, you didn't live in Portland yet, you couldn't kind of come up to make practices or whatever. You still had to like report, report to somebody or something. Yep, that's what it was. Well, uh, yeah, I was just going to mention that. That's what it was. At, fir at first it was, no, I you guys asked me and I was like, Oh, cool. These like this band I really like. And these guys I look up to ask me to be in their band, but I'm still in high school and I don't even have a car that runs and, you know, living in independence still. But then I got into trouble and that was the issue. And I couldn't, I had to like, I was on probation and stuff. And so that kind of fucked, you know, my situation up in that way. But eventually I moved to Portland we all eventually came together. The rest is history. I grew up on the on the mean streets of Southeast Portland, and getting into punk for me, I, you know, I I would live right by 39th Avenue, so I always saw flyers. There was always flyers for all the shows because that was one of the kind of main flyer streets or whatever. So if it looked cool, I would grab it. And then uh, a buddy of mine switched schools and started hanging out with like punks at his new school or whatever and started kind of dragging mixtapes home and like those were kind of like the start of it for me um and and like those early mixtapes is really weird because like now if i made somebody a mixtape it would be like genre specific but the early early mixtapes were like just new music like, like dead kennedy's lords of the new church and like you know fear I mean, nothing really made sense, but it was all new music and you could kind of like take from there and kind of dig deeper into it or whatever. And, uh, you know, and then I think that the main thing is when he's like, you, you got to hear this band, the Sex Pistols. And we skated to Lloyd Center, bought the LP, came back to his house and put it on. And it was like, that was it. Never turned back. What about the rest of you guys? What was the first punk bands you got obsessed with? Well, kind of like what Mike was saying, like some of the, well, I grew up, before I got into punk, I was like a heavy metal kid. I was going to accept as Judas Priest and stuff like that. And like I say, with the Butthole Surfers, I really got into first. Well, they may not be like a punk band. That was still like a time when just 
anything different in beard was like really cool and neat to me. So like I really got into the butthole surfers and a couple of the local bands here like Spigma and the Hell Cows because they were just really weird. Like you go see a show and they're like whipping frozen pig heads with chains on stage <laughs> and like just weird shit like that. And, yeah, um, you really can't explain one of those shows. Yeah, right. But like when the, the pig head right. got lost underneath the stage, it's terrifying. <laughs> it rotted so they couldn't play there anymore. But yeah, I saw him like take the pig head off of those the meat hooks I was hanging on and throw it at jock dudes in the crowd that were that were fucking with him and that was great. Hill cows wear like those meat necklaces and just blood all over them with raw meat. But anyway, uh so I was in the butthole surfers a lot and then I don't know, I was kinda like the, the metal y harder punk, so I was really into like broken bones and uh you know, early English dogs and discharge, that kind of stuff. GBH exploited. Oh, mine was like the pistols. That was like, I mean, if it was like obsessed, it was like the look, you know, that was like, that was when things kind of fine tuned for me. I was like, okay, this is, this is like a look to, to all this music and to all this stuff that like I'm getting into. And, and this shocks people and it scares people. And this is dangerous. And this is like, this is the street I'm going down. So, so for me, it was like that, you know, I just, it, it, to me, they kind of, it encompassed everything that I was just kind of starting to get into from the look to the music. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's just, I, I don't think anything has come since or will come. I think it was just the time that it happened where it happened. You know, there's the whole like Ramones, New York dolls thing. I think all of that led up to, yeah, that, that was my first like obsession of a, of a band or a look or kind of genre, I guess. The first band like that could be considered punk. I mean, really they weren't, they were more of a crossover, like, uh, you know, thrash metal slash hardcore punk for me was accused because I, I could see them. I could get one of my friend's mom's, and we did this drive to Portland to see the accused. And I loved that band because they were just so fast and intense. And I know it's more, it's like thrash metal too, but, but to me, that was, I mean, it, it was kind of punk also because they were kind of really fast. I don't know. That, that was the first band that I really got into. That was, that I guess could be considered sort of that. And it really accused badass. Yeah. And they would always yeah. play with Poison Idea at Pine Street. Like, I swear that show was like every weekend when I was in junior high. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I feel like they came they came down here because they were from Seattle, so I feel like they came down here a lot. And, yeah. And opened, opened a lot of shows, so we kind of got to see them a lot. We got to see Poison Idea open for, like, these bigger bands a lot, too. And, and kind of late 80s, in my opinion, was kind of the height of, of the Poison Idea era there that like I, I feel fortunate to have gone to like those big shows and, and saw that that lineup that produced all those like really good records and big and yeah it was just pretty cool yeah I think I've seen the accused and poison idea more than any other band in life <laughs> in the world right <laughs> yeah. how about you Eric what was the first band you really got obsessed with that's an interesting story uh the biggest nerd in my school who was just, you would have like Dungeons and Dragons nerd. I mean, full, you would have never have known. He always had headphones on and this was middle school for me. So, you know, mid eighties. And I was like, what are you listening to? 
and he had the couple of tapes and he showed me and uh i was still listening to my little heavy metal tapes you know it was all about mixtapes and it really was all about cassettes and tape trading and all of that but uh he introduced me to gbh and generation x and there was something about that that was so different at first i really rejected it i rejected it because it wasn't heavy metal you know it wasn't like that so but i was like ah it's strange but i really liked gbh and generation x but later in a few years down the line i just happened to find uh the decontrol it all became about discharge i mean it's a little <laughs> cliche now because we've all been very much down that route but the decontrol seven inch i stared at it I listened to every song over and over, uh, you know, TV sketch kind of became my mantra for a long time. I just, I thought that was the most extreme, you know, song I've ever heard. So really, yeah, for me, it really was about the discharge, uh, sound, the lyrics, it's in the lyrics and, uh, the look, you know, uh, and the intensity and the anger seemed to be there. So, I I followed that path, you know. I I I chose that, you know. It was before it was your obsession was before it was called DB. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's like that's just like an industry subgenre name later, you know, like grunge. Oh god. I think it's like a font now too. <laughs> yeah, it's an app on Google now. You can get DB. What Mike was talking about earlier about about how now it's like yeah you can see you can point out okay that dude's into db and this person's into this type of punk and this kind of punk and this other kind of hardcore there's so many different branches it used to be you know if you when we were teenagers if you saw somebody remotely looked punk or like had a punk type shirt on it didn't matter what type they were into you you talked to that person because you knew in Oregon, anyway, there weren't a lot of pe other people <laughs> like that. Yeah. So you took what you could get. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like really funny you say that because like still to this day, like you know, we'll drive down the street and, and somebody will have like dyed red hair, like you know, cherry red hair or whatever, and pillbox red. Um, and you know, you'll kind of do a double take still from like those days when it was like, oh, there's there's like one of us. But it's yeah. just, you know, it's like a mom, you know, <laughs> she's got like a, some, some pop band shirt on or something like that. So definitely remember the days when it was like that, when it was like, okay, he might be like a, a hardcore guy and I'm more of like a punk guy, but we're like punks and we have something in common and that, that got people talking and doing stuff. But more of a camaraderie thing because yeah. you saw another weirdo and you knew that they were a weirdo then. You know. <laughs> that's true there, there wasn't so much of this subgenre split off and you like know they didn't buy uh, everything they were wearing online or from uh hot yeah. topic or something you had to make your own clothes or or your gear or get a girlfriend with a sewing machine <laughs> yeah <laughs> just peg your pants with safety pins they always open up into your skin <laughs> <laughs> And uh, you wouldn't find so many you, heavy metal and punk did not mix well in those days. There were fights, a lot of fighting. If you were a punk rocker walking down the street, heavy metal dudes, you know, they, they called you stuff and 
or if you were a heavy metal guy and punks didn't necessarily mess with heavy metal dudes they they just made fun of them and walked away see tony tony probably remembers this in portland when it was like rockers and punks getting in fights a lot we we used to draw like on our military jackets or whatever that we had all our band logos and stuff on um we used to draw no carps and there was like a little fish thing and you put an x through it and that like meant that like you were going to fight the rockers if if they saw you had no carps on your jacket then you you were fighting so like, <laughs> I, do, you, do you remember that tony was, yeah i do remember the rockers were called carps <laughs> yeah it had something to do with a mullet. Yeah, if you had a mullet, you had a carp do or something like that. I think I fucking punks versus carps, and I think there was like some pretty, some pretty like brutal territorial fights at like Pioneer Square and Paranoia Park. Over, over <laughs> turf it was. There were, but eventually we all kind of had to stick together just to fight the hillbillies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. See, we definitely did at my high school. It was us against them because there was there was an older punk who'd already graduated and there was me <laughs> and that was pretty much it for punks and then there was there were a couple goth girls and there were a couple heavy metal dudes and we all stuck together because yes yeah, safety in numbers and we we're all kind of different so you know and then and then other than that it was rednecks and mormons like and they all hated you. All hated the punk, hated the metalheads, hated anybody who was different, of course. But yeah, so we had to really stick together. <laughs> we we couldn't be picky. We 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 said, oh, you're a little bit different, so we're kind of like each other. We'll stick together. <laughs> and that's what it was like. Like Alric, when you mentioned Pioneer Square earlier, that's kind of what it was like when you'd go downtown and try to meet people. It would be like a bunch of goths and some new waivers and then some punk. Yeah. yeah there was a lot of crowd, you, you know, you'd go to like, you'd go to the dance clubs. Cause like, that's where you could, you could meet people too, you know, like scoochies or, or confettis or whatever. That was the like city new waivers. Way. Yeah. Where new waivers went to like dance, but it, they were still different and you could still meet people and like, you know, we could meet girls and like, yeah, you could just, you could meet different people. And there wasn't like a ton of places then to do that, except for like, you know, certain parks around town or, you know, shows and, and clubs like that. Yeah, and there wasn't shows every weekend. Like there, you had to find something to do because Portland was not, there just wasn't shit to do really, but drink. Yeah, right. And, and for me personally, uh, there was, I mean, absolutely nothing to do in Salem, Oregon. I mean, occasionally... <laughs> Our, our clan of people, including Matt, we'd all meet up on the, you know, and like hang out on the sidewalks and stuff. It was nothing to do. It was so boring. But um, in the courthouse. Yeah, you know. Yeah. It was just like a coffee shop. It was just like, it's where all the freaks hung out. But for me, um, I just, I figured out I could just take the Greyhound bus up. Like, it, I mean, going back as far as like 85, 1985, I, I'd take the Greyhound bus up and go to uh, Second Avenue Records. And when it was just a little hole in the wall with their stacks, uh, you know, of brown boxes full of records, you had no idea what any of it was. You just and walk around and you could see people, you know, this like, yeah, like the Pioneer Square and all of all of that. And, and it was kind of scary. It was, 
kind of cool, but uh, that's just, that was my, because I didn't really have a chance myself to go to a whole lot of shows in, in the Salem area in the 80s, and I just didn't get a chance to really go to much of the underground stuff. Uh, I was acclimated into that a little later, but uh, that's that was my real introduction to the Portland area was just getting up on the Greyhound bus and going to Second Avenue Records and just see where it took you from there. You find somebody you didn't know, you meet, and they're like, hey, let's go to the park, you know, or Pioneer Square or something, and you'd meet yeah, more funny. people with Snowball from there, and it was fun. I did like it kind of like what Eric was talking about there. Like back then in that time, it was fun where like, you know, you couldn't really get a hold of anybody. Like no one had a phone or they're never at home, but you just knew if you went downtown, if you went to like Pioneer Courthouse Square, Paranoia Park, walked down Vaseline Alley, and went to like Rock and Roll Fashions <laughs> or Second Avenue, you'd run into someone you knew. You'd be like, hey, where's the party night? Is there a kid? You know, look for flyers. And it was fun, kind of like an adventure as a teenager, just wandering around downtown Portland, just like getting into trouble and finding people and getting beer or just seeing what would happen. Yeah, like the day or the no, night yeah, just like yeah, present yeah. itself to you as you went about wandering around. Like, it was kind of awesome because, yeah, no matter what time of day, if you went down, you'd run into someone and then yeah. two more people. And then eventually, like, you'd have. 30 punks drinking in some bushes behind the freeway. Right. <laughs> that, was, that was called the beer garden, Cody. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. It was, it was fucking pretty cool because, like, you'd be drinking, like, with homeless people, too, and stuff. Like, <laughs> just the, I think the element of danger was always there, and that's what always kind of, like, attracted me and kind of kept me on my toes. Because I, I felt like anything dangerous could happen at any given moment. <laughs> and I kind of like really was into that. <laughs> and also scared, a little scared, but like, it, I, I think it kept you on your toes, which I think was good. Yeah, adventurous. Yeah. What were some of the first shows you saw that made the biggest impact? I remember uh, seeing, for some reason, DOA stands out a lot from Vancouver because I feel like they were also like on the circuit of the West Coast uh, because they were from Vancouver. So I, I remember seeing them a lot at Pine Street. I remember um, kind of late 80s when when the shows were bigger and like kind of started to be a little more mainstream. Uh, it wasn't just punks at the shows, but shows like GBH, uh, UK Subs, Broken Bones, tour that came through here stands out. Um, those were like, pretty awesome gigs and then you know like i said earlier seeing poison idea at that era it felt like they were always kind of like opening the bigger shows like that so th those are what those those pine street days when the shows started getting pretty big are, are like kind of when i was first starting to get into stuff too and and starting to regularly go to shows the first one real one that i saw i mean i'd seen i'd went up i wouldn't say these weren't real but you know, I went up to Portland and saw the accused and stuff, but then the, like the first real punk show that I saw, I think was the detonators in Corvallis. And I thought that was really neat because they were actually in Oregon, but well, they were originally not from Oregon, but they were an Oregon band and they were just from Eugene. I was like, Whoa, these guys are from here. You know, <laughs> that was really neat. And, uh, and I just really liked this idea where you could just go talk to the bands and it wasn't anything and they were just regular people, you know? Um, but anyway, that was the, that was the first real one for me, I think. Uh, 
you know, I guess sort of the same for me, like Mike was saying, all those old Pine Street shows, like definitely that Broken Bones UK sub show. I was 88 or something like that. That really sticks out of my mind. And then another one that was awesome. Yeah, it was fucking awesome. Then another one from around that time was like the Chromax and and the German metal band Destruction played. That was like a really good show. And it really sticks in my mind too, because that was the most Nazi skinheads I've ever seen together at one time. But that was another (laughs) thing that Mike talks about the dangerous stuff. Like back then when there actually were like Nazi skinhead gangs and shit in Portland, like some of those shows got pretty ugly. Very scumbags there, and, but uh, that show definitely sticks out. Yeah, just all the old Pine Street stuff. Like I didn't remember half the shows. I would just go to a show if I saw a flyer, and that's how you learned about bands. I also remember seeing the Jesters in the late '80s. Um, fucking weirdest bill ever. It was like a, I think it was called like a Northwest Extravaganza or something. And I think it was like Soundgarden before they were huge. The jesters came down and they had a bunch of like anti-racist skinheads with them. And like, I'd never seen anything like that, you know, except for on record covers. I'd seen Discharge and I'd gotten into Crucifix and, and I'd seen the records, but like the jesters were like, every guy in the band had like giant hair and studded leathers. And it, that, that shit was like very impressionable. I think seeing that live and I'm like, where did they get all the like same fucking gear that like the pistols have? And they had like the, They'd gone to England or something and bought all this stuff. And I was like, how do they have this stuff? Like, I just have to, like, draw it on a fucking T-shirt and try to, like, make it look like that. But they have all the, like, cool fucking gear. That, that show really stood out for me. It was pretty impressionable, too. Not Soundgarden. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> how many hours and blisters did you get from having to make belts? So I'm bigger than all these other guys. So, you know, I had to have more studs, more studs, you know, more studs in the jacket, more studs in the fucking belts. Yeah. Lots. Just right there on your phone. It's like pretty stupid because like it wasn't until like 10 years ago that I figured out some better ways to make studded jackets. And I wish I would have known earlier. (laughs) What was Portland like when you first got into punk? I thought it was really cool because Portland's like a really tiny town compared to most cities, but it always had like, I thought a pretty good music scene and like, there's just a lot of freaks and heroes and Portland was always, well, at least then like seedy and dirty and kind of sketchy, you know, like tons of like strip bars and just bars and like weirdos and junkies and transvestites. And like I said, Vaseline Alley always sticks out of my mind, like Stark Street. Back then, because I'd be walking down that when I was a teenager with my dad going somewhere. I'd just see, like, dudes with big handlebar mustaches leading other dudes on, like, dog collars down the street in chaps. And I was like, what is happening? I know, but it was just cool. It was like we were talking about all the freaks and weirdos were kind of like, would all go to the same shows and stuff. And it was just, I thought it was really great. It was just seedy and creepy in a cool way. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely wasn't like, um, I have that, that. It was kind of scary, and I don't remember. I remember seeing older punks kind of when I first got into it, you know, but I didn't look super cool. I probably had, like, an attempt at spiked hair, and, like, I I had told my mom I wanted to be a punk for Halloween, and that was, like, kind of how I got some of my first, like, stuttered wristbands, and, like, I think I, I was like, I'm, I'm going to be a punk for Halloween, so she got me, like, a trench coat and, like, a couple of pins. And, like, yeah, and, like, and, like uh, you know, like, some wrap around sunglasses or something like that and like then i just like didn't not wear that stuff 
You know, like I, I was a punk for Halloween and then I like just started dressing like that, you know? <laughs> so I remember like, you know, there was there was older punks that like looked cooler and stuff, but I I don't feel like they were kind of how we ended up being later, which was kind of like welcoming. It was kind of like, it was scary. And the older punks didn't seem to be like that cool to younger punks. Yeah, there was like fucking lots of Nazis running around trying to fucking steal your clothes. And you fucking had to turn the corner or somebody was going to take your jacket or back to that it being scary and that was like definitely part of the allure definitely yeah i what you said about it being kind of dangerous and scary that was the lure to me because going to Port portland was the huge city from where i was so to go to portland and visit people and hang out it's like as an adventure because this was the big city where anything could happen you know it wasn't it wasn't the i know a lot of people say this but it's true it wasn't the utopia the safe utopia that it is now or tries to be it was actually fucking dangerous you know there were nazi skinheads who would beat the shit out of you or or yeah it was just it was the portland it was the perfect combination of of for me for like it was weird like redneck and also punk at the same time so those two things coming together in the city is 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 made a weird combination a kind of scary dangerous interesting combination <laughs> and the nazi skinheads were bad but also the older punks like the older junkie punks that had just got out that were trying to rob you that was i think that was kind of why it was like they were like on drugs you know, so, so like, they weren't, they weren't like into the scene. Like maybe they'd been in bands before or whatever. And I, I remember like talking to some of those guys that ended up probably being people from like Napalm Beach or the Wipers or something like that. And, and like, just being like, oh, these guys, this is like a real like old punk. Like this is, this is what they're like or whatever. And, right. And he'd be yeah, maybe they, they were just fucking strung out and like creepy. <laughs> And maybe thirty, you know. Yeah, and they were really <laughs> old. They were super. They were twenty-seven. Old. And, <laughs> right, and, you know, we're still teenagers, and they're like, "Wow, they're so old at twenty-seven." But scary, it was it? Was it did have an element of danger to it? It's great. I liked it. I did. I liked it. And it was cool then too. Cause I remember things like if you were like one of the newer kind of younger punks. Like Mike was saying, a lot of the older guys were just like, who the fuck's this dude? Like, you kind of had to pay your dues to be, like, accepted as a punk or even be part of the scene, you know? Like, it was kind of interesting, weird times. You got to be beat into the gang. You definitely had to chug, like, fortified wine or something. Yeah, you definitely had to, like... <laughs> that was just our gang. Sorry we did that to you. <laughs> I think the true test was yeah. Wild Irish Rose. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't ever a good idea to have drinking competitions with Wild Irish Rose and St. Ives and like I just, I just don't, chugging Robitussin like what the fuck I don't really understand why we took a note out of like homeless people's like drinking glasses <laughs> like it was kind of like well th so they're drinking this and this is how they are <laughs> right so this is what I'm gonna do because I feel like every time I ever drank fortified wine I was kind of like a homeless person <laughs> and I was definitely always in jail afterwards <laughs> well I think a lot of it wasn't by choice I remember 
I, I would have like three dollars for the whole weekend. You know, I have three dollars to spend for the whole weekend. So I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'm getting two fifths of Mad Dog. Yeah, or like four forties bold English. It was it was bang for your buck, and and those those square mad mad dogs like fit in your jacket pretty well <laughs> too. Like when the, you know they were pretty easy to shoplift. Right, you didn't have to pay for it. You could like it could go like right down your sleeve, and you could kind of like inconspicuously walk out. Well, you sold symbols in your jacket, really? so that's not fair. <laughs> that that mad dog twenty twenty fit like right down the arm of like a slightly oversized leather though. <laughs> I think that's why I drink that shit. I still don't know how you pull off that symbol thing. I remember, like, to find if you did some new drum equipment, so me and Mike and Eric go down to this music store, and Eric, I think you were, like, distracting the dude working there, talking to him, and just watch, like, Mike lean over and, like, take the screw top off and just take the whole hi-hat off and just slide it down. <laughs> oh, fuck, I forgot about that. Oh, how do you set a symbol in front of somebody? Like, those are really expensive. <laughs> <laughs> how are we supposed to... Get oh, Mike, by the way, Mike, thank you for doing that, by the way. That was, I've ever properly thanked you. I would, ne- I would never say you owe me one, but. <laughs> but you owe me a would, you, would you like the symbol back? I think still, I might have the symbol. from 40 years ago. <laughs> right. I think you've done that with records as well. Uh, yeah, I think that was my jam, because that's, that's how I learned to do it, was taking records, yeah. <laughs> I do weird shit like that, how it just works out like, I don't know if you guys remember, like, when we toured Inhumane, and I don't know, we were, like, Montana or Wyoming or somewhere weird, like, the band, we needed, a, like, a new tire, and they're, like, really expensive in the middle of nowhere out in, the in like, the flats of Wyoming or something, and we just pull up to that gas station or, like, that tire store, and, like, someone does some distraction, and Inhumane dude just run into the store and, like, jump up and drive the tire <laughs> off the wall and, like, run out, and we throw the van and just drive down the street, and, like, I don't know. Now around the same time, Tony and I like, we go to get gas, and all the Indian dudes are just like, fill up the van with gas, and then get a little squirt of gas, and, and, <laughs> and then we'd be driving our car down the road, look over at the van, and they're all just like, like, they're all like, see with the cake, just huffing gas and driving. I'm like, Jesus Christ, man. <laughs> and with a fortified wine hangover, sitting in a van full of gas was like, <laughs> made my headache so much worse. <laughs> oh, you're hung over here, huff some gas. <laughs> It'll help your headache. Right. <laughs> How have you seen Portland change over the years? How's it affected the punk scene here? I think. <laughs> Is I it too depressing to talk about? No, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I think. Um, I think the main thing is that it's grown into lots of different branches. There's a lot of people that have moved here from other places that have kind of poured creativity and uh, new bands and things like that into the city. Um, There's all sorts of kind of cooler stuff happening than there was when we were getting into it. I mean, there was, there was like the one or two like DOY clubs that would continue, you know, have 10 shows and then get shut down. I mean, you know, we've got like Blackwater, which is like a record store, a rehearsal space, recording studio, recording studio that we actually just recorded at too. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I think the, I think more people moving here, kind of kind of similar to Minneapolis in the '90s, being a kind of a punk mecca, has has afforded a lot more creativity and a lot more options for people who are kind of getting into punk to have to have a place to go or to have access to cool records and cool shit. Wow. And, Places to practice and things like that. Try to try to stay positive, but not. <laughs> I was gonna say that's a, that's good. 
So there are some good things that have happened. I think so. Well, I'll say Portland has definitely changed a lot. Like, because it used to be like really, really cheap to live here and like actually you get a job really easily. But, you know, I would say, I would say the gentrification probably started in Northwest like as the early 90s or something. But it like really spread pretty quick through all of Portland. So it's pretty expensive here now, which I think kind of sucks. But uh, like Mike was saying, it was cool. Just Portland being kind of a punk that a lot of people from other cities moved here. So it was cool to meet new people and like, you know, kind of different cities or areas have a different style of punk. So it was kind of being brought here too. So that that's good. Well, and I, I think, I think too, the cool thing kind of too was like, you know, we would go out on these tours or whatever, and then we'd meet, meet people from all over the country. And then pretty soon one of those people like decided they were going to move to Portland. And so you already kind of knew that person a little bit from like staying in their town or whatever. And, and there was like a new punk that you got to hang out with. You know, I remember when the guys from Baltimore moved here, like Jack and Claudia and Paul Vitteman and little Eric. And I don't know, it was, it was kind of refreshing because like new, new pumps would turn up and then there's just more people to hang out with. There's more people in your like immediate kind of crew of people. So that was a positive of, of the kind of punk mecca thing too. Plus there's more people to have more bands, which keeps the whole thing going. You know? Yeah, I knew Portland as it was the only city in Oregon, you know, obviously like other states have more cities, but Portland was the Mecca, you know? So for Oregonians, that's where you went. And then it seemed like Americans started coming there, you know, like other cities, that, that would, that blew my mind when people from other cities, why would you want to move to Portland? What the? <laughs> we have here but i remember us going you know even on our american tour and europe we would really boast about yeah we've got mountains and rivers and deserts and whatnot and then everybody started moving here and realized maybe we should have just kept our big mouth shut about <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Really cheap to live here. how nice it was here there's lots of like really cool restaurants and it's really cheap to live here. And then we have shows all the time. It's super cool. Yeah. Come ruin it. <laughs> it was the Pacific Northwest best kept secret, but yeah. yeah, the word got out. Everyone's like, Whoa, this place is awesome. <laughs> and then everybody found out it was awesome. <laughs> So let's change it a little bit and let's do the second song now. We ended up talking a lot. Uh, the next song is the, the second song off the record. Uh, it's called Pressure.
song or just kind of kind of the sentiment of uh, all the stuff that happened after the George Floyd killing and the many, many, many nights of, uh, you know, unrest in downtown Portland and just kind of the vibe that it sent around the city. You know, the fact that the, the center of town was boarded up and that there was, you know, fucking fires on the streets and there was protesters like for, you know, weeks, months on end, months. Uh, continually putting pressure. You know, the, the fact that the, the Justice Center, which is the main police station in downtown, was 100% boarded up and the courthouse was 100% boarded up. And anything around the federal building or any of that stuff, if you drove down there, was boarded up and it was like our fucking city was like shut down, you know, and, and uh, tons of cities around the country, you know, so that song is just kind of like a observation of that. I couldn't believe watching the local Amsterdam news when I saw that the Justice Center caught on fire. I could not fucking believe it. Right. It was pretty worldwide. Yeah. You know, and, and then the fucking shock troops got sent in and that was weird. They were grabbing people and fucking putting them in vans and trying to make a show of that. And it wasn't very accepted very well here. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, I'm proud of our city for, for a lot of that, for continuing to like pile the fucking pressure on. That's kind of what the song's about. You've all been punks for so long. Have you seen punk change over the years? <laughs> I, I think, like for me, I think the biggest kind of change from when I got into it to what it is now is is the accessibility to kind of anything and everything you want. And I, I, I'm not like saying that's good or bad. It's just different than what I grew up with. So, you know, the fact that you can, you know, if there's, if there's a certain record you want, you can go on Discogs. And, and if you have the money, you can buy this rare record for $300 or the fact that you can, you can order like any kind of t-shirt basically that you want online. That's how it's kind of changed for me is, is everything is like pretty readily available. And I think part of the fun of getting into punk was like the creative element, which was like, you know, trying to make your own clothes or, or trying to like, you know, doing the art on your own jacket or something like that. You know I mean? People still obviously do that, but like, it just, everything seems like a lot more easy to consume and less creativity involved, you know, and that, that also kind of goes with the branches of, of like, you know, there's this kind of punk, there's that kind of punk, there's this, anybody kind of coming into it can go, I want to be that kind of punk. And, and the next day they can kind of have all those clothes and well, you know, two day shipping with Amazon. So <laughs> in, in two, in, I guess in two days, if they have prime, could, could be like a, a DB punk, right? And that, that has made it kind of quite a bit different. I think than when we all kind of got into it. I agree with that. And I also think the biggest change I've seen is that punk is no longer like underground or a rebellion or something that's unacceptable. You know, like now it's just mainstream. Um, movie stars wear like studded jackets and like everyone has green hair and like we're talking about earlier, like before when like every day I would leave my house and walk around, like someone would throw a beer bottle at me or just get out of the car to fight you or call you whatever, you know. <laughs> and now people are like, Where'd you get your jacket? And I made it. Or like but it's just that like the, the rebellious underground aspect of it is gone. Well, that's different. And um, yeah, you look like 
to find those old rare punk records that you can now buy on eBay or whatever. And you used to have like, you would have some friend whose older brother had a pen pal in Germany or Sweden trade records, you know, like the whole, the underground aspect is just gone. That's different. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, the definite, the acceptance thing is what is really different. Yeah. It used to be a, a car drives by you, screams the F word, the other F word at you gets out, wants to fight you or whatever. Now it's, they, they drive by you and yell, I like your hair. Like, <laughs> my leopard print hair. It used to be, used to be the same people who would get out of the car and try to fight me and throw shit at me or whatever. And now these same people, types of people are like, I love your hair. You should drive by and yell, how many ditch you up today, faggot? And now it's like, cool ink, dude. Where'd you get your tats? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and I don't know what pisses me off more to hear. I know. I, yeah, I don't know whether I, I, you know, in some ways it's kind of cool, but in some ways I kind of hate it because it's not shocking anymore. None of it is, you know, to be shocking, you got to be like a total GGL like maniac or something. You know? Well, and that's, and that's been done, right? So yeah. Done. Now, you're, now you're just like copying like a scumbag. <laughs> right. You know? Right. So I, I, I definitely liked it the other way. Me too. Back, back to the, you had to like really be into what you were into and you really had to like stand up for it, you know, or, or go home. Yeah. That, that also makes you a lot more committed to what you're doing and what you're deciding to kind of be a part of too. So, well, yeah, it makes you tougher. I mean, you know, I mean, it definitely like, makes you learn how to fight. Yeah, <laughs> people are constantly fucking with you for the way you look. You have to, you have to have thick skin. You're good. You're not. You, you know, this was that wasn't for people who would just go and cower and and hide. You know, <laughs> you have to become very crafty and deliberate on how you retaliate. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> or get good at fighting <laughs> yeah well yeah exactly that <laughs> what did punk mean to you when you first got into it really the first thing that attracted me to punk was the look you know when i was like a little kid like studs and leather and crazy hair and then you know the music was just loud and fast and distorted and you know i really got sucked into it i love like the energy and aggression at a show you know like just people going crazy but still like taking care of each other you know and uh, and I, I like the camaraderie of it because I was kind of an outsider, you know. I didn't like the jocks or the hicks that hated me. And like, you find something in common with other weirdos. And I like the camaraderie part of it, like the underground part, um, and the music, you know, just the energy, like going to a show and it's all hot, sweaty, and like whatever, getting drunk and dancing around. And it was fun. I think for me, it meant that I could be around other outcasts, I guess, you know, because it was like, then it was like the extension of, you know, maybe your kind of broken home life or whatever. There was there was other people who thought like you, and you could you could have like a camaraderie with with that, you know. And uh, I think not not far beyond being kind of a fan of the music was the whole theory behind punk. Like, if here's three chords, now now form a band, you know. Like that whole like kind of DIY. You know, the, the thing that made it accessible, I guess, to, to do your own thing, you know, it was like, you just pick up a, pick up a guitar and start doing stuff and find other people who are doing stuff. And all of a sudden you're like kind of making noise, good or bad, 
you know, that, that was like what it meant to me was now you also had this creative element you could start doing cool shit. Yeah, the music aspect uh, for me was a big part of it because this was something that that sounded awesome and aggressive, but I could I could do it like way better than the other types of uh, other type of music I was trying to do, which I wasn't good enough of a guitar player to do. It's like, wow, I can do this. This sounds awesome and I can totally do this. So that was a big part of it for me. Heavy metal. Heavy metal. <laughs> we kind of talked about it a little bit, but how did you find out about bands when you first got into punk? I remember before I'd really met like many other punks or such older ones that knew more about music. Like I would just go to shows and being like a little kid, I would just look at whoever looked the cool, uh, whatever guy had like studded jacket, big hair, just look at what bands were on his jacket or t-shirt and just go to second Avenue and try to find that record. That's really what I did. And, yeah, just like mixtapes getting passed around, you know, someone introducing you to bands and it just spreads. Yeah, same for me. It was like I talked about it a little bit earlier, but it was like mixtapes mix of like all sorts of stuff. It just kind of started opening up your eyes to stuff and you could, you know, you could be like, okay, I really like the exploited, but I don't so much like fear or, or whatever you, you could drag out of these mixtapes, you know, like the cramps are cool, but they're not real, that's kind of garagey or something. It's not really my, that, that was the kind of coolest thing about those early kind of tapes that kind of punks passed around or whatever was like Lords in the New Church on one side and and like the Exploited on the other, you know? It was like such a mix because it was all just new music. It wasn't, it hadn't, it hadn't found a way to get branched into specific genres that like people could kind of access and mimic looking at the records too like when i find one band that i liked and was cool and then sometimes you know a record would have a picture of them you know like and what was on their shirts and what was on their jacket like alaric was saying seeing that in person but also seeing it on the records and looking at the thanks list and stuff like that and saying oh you know and it would uh it'd make you branch off to you know then you go down this direction and down this direction and find other bands just by the bands, the tastes of the bands that you like, you know? Yeah, the thanks list was a, like another one too. You're like, oh, that means those guys are like friends with this other cool band that I, that yeah. I like. And then you could kind of think about like, oh, I wonder if they played shows together. That would be a cool show or fucking, you know, whatever. And what styles did you end up loving? Well, for me, Tony, it was kind of more of a spiky punk look. <laughs> like i started kind of charging my hair probably first from like billy idol like when i was a skater because because that was kind of the first that was actually kind of the first taste of like punk and new wave like these guys all have a i think all of you guys kind of were into metal before you were into punk and i was kind of more into like new wave like not not new wave like house or you know stuff like that but it was like, yeah, like the house. billy idol generation x like the clash stuff like that is some of my first stuff and and some of that was from like mtv you know like oh these guys are like in this oil field like stomping around and they've got mohawks and like kind of a new romantic but look, yeah you you were kind of more of a new romantic you were kind of a new romantic pirate shirts and then it was like you know the jesters crucifix like stuff like that and then and then when we were able to get our hands on 
on discharge records and stuff like that. And, uh, the pistols were always an influence. I mean, I think they influenced all of those bands too, you know? So then it was just like more studs, bigger hair, cool guy shit. <laughs> <laughs> Any styles of punk you hate? Ska punk. <laughs> Who is that? Right. Yeah. Uh, that just fucking sucks. <laughs> and I'm really glad that like really big pant thing went away. Doesn't that go with that? <laughs> Maybe it went away. Is that still a thing? I don't remember what it was called, but it was like giant pants that looked like bondage pants. Well, like the ICP pants? Yeah, maybe the clown metal dance. What about the style called uh, kind of stuff? Oh yeah. Wacky punk. What about yeah. wacky punk? Silly lyrics. Pop punk. Like what is pop punk now? You know, money. I don't know. There's so many genres now. I can't keep up with them. There's so much. There's mean. so much. And the thing is, is I like, and I know you guys do too. I don't like just one kind. I like, you know, I like everything from, you know, like 77 to believe it or not to straight edge hardcore I mean, <laughs> there's so much different kinds like so i can't just say i like i mean obviously like i love uk82 but like there's just so much punk rock is just broken off to so many different types yeah i mean it's coming up on like 50 years of making music like yes you know if you if you count kind of like the pub rock stuff or or the stuff that like I don't know. You go back to like Iggy. I mean, that raw power records punk. You know, it's yeah. definitely punk. Or, or the or the beginnings of it, or you know. So that's like fifty years worth of records coming out. And you know, yeah. it's not only like how do, you, how do you narrow it down? Right? Yeah. And then there's not only the different genres of punk within the U.S. or England, but the other cool thing about punk is that pretty much every country's version of punk is a little different, unique, like. Yeah. You know, like early Japanese punk is like insane shit. It's awesome. You know, and it's completely different than like Finnish hardcore or like, you know, Brazilian hardcore. And like, it's another cool thing about punk is like each country kind of has its own, their version of it, which makes it awesome. It makes it cool because it was like the, the shock heard around the world and it sparked all these things and it, and it did different things in different places and people put their own spin on it. And that's what, that's what has made it kind of cool. I mean, I think communication and, and, and knowing what other people in the world are doing right now is like a lot different than it was then. So it's crazy how, you know, shit was like happening in Australia in 77, the same as kind of what was happening in England, you know, so far away. And like, you know, was it a guy going and saying, I just saw this, fucking band we need to start a band like this or you know how did it like just spider web you know it's almost like a spontaneous worldwide explosion yeah yeah it's interesting to see the parallels of evolution of punk from different areas and how they similarly evolved or didn't like depending on where it was from yeah like the skin that whole scandinavian thing was like definitely its own thing and like this really cool thing japanese hardcore and punk was like super cool and very different than you know like musically it's not something for me most of it because it's a lot of it's kind of unlistenable really noisy or whatever and i'm kind of not into that but like definitely different and, and 
Like I listened to that Jism record the other day. That is just fucking wild. It's not, I don't even know if it's like punk or music. It's just so fucking weird. I was thinking the same thing the other day because I was listening to Gizm and and I was like, did they just lump them in with punk because they didn't know? You know, it's yeah, it's just so insane. It's like, what do you categorize this? Set? I mean, yeah, it's it's hard, it's hardcore punk, but what the fuck is this? It's just so different. That's why it's awesome. I think. Yeah, there's you know? fucking strange growling, and then like fucking yeah. weird, out of place <laughs> heavy metal leads and stuff. It's like, yeah, like really it's just good fucking wild. Metal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wild. Great fucking art and like really really cool visual on all that stuff for me yeah not super into the music or whatever but like definitely cool art and really striking do you remember that video we got from jerry like yeah. uh, the late 80s like before ever before you could watch yeah. anything and yeah. how many times we watched that fucking crazy video yeah where he was like fucking running out into the crowd and like lighting fires and stuff and, like, <laughs> and came out didn't he like come out shooting a fake gun or a, i think so i've seen that yeah. He gives one, yeah. people's heads in the crowd yeah yeah it was like if we thought it was dangerous when we saw shit like that it was like fuck hell like, like <laughs> what is fucking going on like this is like a this band is like a, a terrorist <laughs> it was fucking wild crazy yeah when you couldn't like just kind of go on the computer and like google it you it was like a mixtape you somebody yeah had a video cassette tape and, and by the time you got your hands on it it was just like almost unwatchable yeah it'd been, it been like re-recorded so many 20 times yeah <laughs> so yeah but it was like fucking cool like the first time we saw the rock and roll swindle like on video yeah that was like so cool fucking terrible almost as bad as root boy <laughs> but when there's nothing else it was yeah. worth watching the 20 times that was great when they showed that cinema 21 oh the swindle yeah like i remember like a, oh yeah i mean i've been going to like the private versus shows and stuff you know and i kind of knew you guys all but i remember that was really the first night like i kind of hung out with you guys because me my dad took me to go see that movie and i was like 15 or something and we saw like the early showing at seven then i came out you guys were all waiting in line you know, you're like, hey, what are you doing? Come back in. And so we went in and brought in like a cherry cheesecake to throw at people and like throwing food <laughs> in the top of the balcony and shit. Like, and then Brian Chaos in his weird American flag pants, like getting beat up down the stairs. <laughs> it was just fucking crazy shit, man. <laughs> I forgot we turned it into like Rocky Horror and we brought plants. I know, just throwing <laughs> cherry cheesecake to people. <laughs> Like, what you want? <laughs> I know. I know. I think I was in like drug treatment or something. You weren't there. I wasn't there. Yeah. yeah. Tony, I saw you up there in like Jordan and Brian Chaos and maybe Aaron Barr. I remember who was all there, but just a pack of fucking weirdos getting drunk in there. I don't think they showed that movie after that night. I think that was the last time. <laughs> what keeps you involved in punk after all these years? Why do you still care? For me, yeah, I care. <laughs> I think for me, I just love I love playing music. You know, I love to to play like aggressive music, and it, it's kind of it's turned into an outlet for creativity, frustration, all of the above. You know, like it, it's just it's part of your life. You know, when you get into it, and 
it's just part of my life now. You know, I don't, what do you I think don't look at it as like, I think I can get out of it. It isn't like, a, it isn't really like that. It's like, you know, people grow and people evolve, but like this, this has been such a giant part of my life. It's, it's allowed me to see the world, play shows everywhere, put out records, meet friends, have, have long friendships like we, we all have, have, have friendships with people like in bands in other countries that you still are kind of in contact with or whatever. It's just like, it's, it's the only thing that's left such a giant impression, I guess, on me personally. Yeah, def- definitely the net, the network of friends is something I, uh, is a huge part of it. Plus I don't know any, I don't know any different, <laughs> you know, I don't know what else I would do if I was doing this. I mean, and also just, like, yeah, you, you know, you tour it all over the place and stuff. And I kind of almost feel, I feel like I got to, this, this thing like gave me so much and let me see so many cool things that I never would have, I never would have seen had I not gotten involved in this, in this movement. I like to give back to it. You know, I don't know. That may sound stupid, but I, I like to give back to it. I want to give back to it and for it to keep going. I agree, man. I like that's great. I like the aspect of yeah. that, and yeah, I really like. I love like playing music live and recording music, the creativity part, and like traveling around the world and stuff. And like I know several of us have kind of touched on before. Like cool thing about punk, like when I was really young, before I was in a band, you would watch bands and be like, "I want to do this," and you're like, "I can do this." So then you know you would do it like it's inspirational in a positive way to me. And then like I'll never forget when we toured Europe in '95, we're playing in like wine cellar of like a 700 year old castle on the Croatian border and like all those punks from Croatia and Serbia came to see us through like the civil wars and they're talking about dead people you know trains to it just like insane shit and these people came to see us play and they don't speak any English but like we played like our whole set and like play more play more and I'm like I've been screaming for an hour and a half and so I was done like this 15 year old kid doesn't speak any English from like Croatia gets on the stage and you guys kept playing like three more songs and he was like singing the lyrics and just having the time of his life. I remember standing there watching, I was like, fuck dude, this is so cool. Like, you know, when I was young and inspired, now I'm in a band doing that to someone else, you know? And so that was always cool. Like you were saying, Matthew, it gave me so much to give something back to other people in a positive way. That's always like kind of life changing for me. So how does lineup come about? I was hoping you'd ask that. Tony. I, I was actually wondering if you were going to ask that. Since you've been in the band two different times, so why don't you answer that question? <laughs> <laughs> so, I would say, you know, we the the bands had many iterations or whatever, and um, it kind of in about 2011, kind of took a break or whatever, lost. Uh, drummer that had been playing with us for 10 years or whatever and it just kind of like seemed like the time to like kind of take a break from that or whatever um and then we i don't even really know how it came about but we were going to do like a 20-year reunion with the with the whole original lineup or whatever at a friend of ours bar called east end and uh (laughs) it just sounded like a lot of fun like the time felt all the timing felt right and it just felt like really fun to do it and so and it was mostly fun. It was mostly just that whole six months was really fun. Yeah. And then, so 
So from there, it just, I think kind of word got out or whatever, and we started kind of getting really weird kind of emails and offers to, to do stuff. And it was like, it became really easy. Like, you know, I was like, hey, heard you guys are playing again. Like, we'd like you to play this fest and we'll fly you here and we'll, you know, we'll pay for rooms or whatever for you guys to, to come do this one show. And like, you know, with everybody else's kind of work schedules and, and the fact that like we all have full-time jobs and stuff like that, that was like a lot more doable, uh, you know, than jumping in a van or whatever and being gone for fucking two and a half months and playing places like Nebraska. Uh, you know, so it was really fun and it was really easy. And from, from that original lineup, it, it went to, you know, one of our singers ended up getting married and moved to Amsterdam. <laughs> so, so when, when he did that, we were, we were back down to a four piece, um, you know, picked up the pieces, continued to kind of take offers or whatever. Um, and then our, our bassist, uh, our original bass player, he uh, was in a few other bands and couldn't always kind of do all of the, the offers that we were kind of getting or whatever. So we had... Uh, like a goddamn know, we, politician we, over there, Mike. Yeah, I mean, our, 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 our thought was, is like, as long as these offers are coming in, like, we're taking them, you know, whether you can do them or not, because like, this isn't always going to happen. So if, if like somebody's offering to do this, we're fucking doing it, you know, like that's it. We'd like you to come along, but if you can't, you know, we'll fucking get somebody else. So we got Matt, um, you know, we were like, Oh fuck, you know, Matt knows most of the songs from playing guitar on most of the songs. So could you, could you fill in for bass on this like slew of shows? And it just like the chemistry changed and I, and like, there was like no, drama and we we were noticing that we were just having like a ton of fun when we were traveling you know so it was like this just made sense and poor matt is a fucking guitar player and now he's a, now he's a ripping bass player uh. but like it, it's more it's it's now it's just about the, the four people you know because like we can travel together and we can have fun together and we don't fight and like if if you have that then don't fuck with it because it rarely happens it rarely happens especially with yeah. people who have the history that we all have you know too you know there's there's all there's there's bumps in the road in all of our friendships and relationships or whatever but like this this is working so we don't fuck with a good thing i guess if it ain't broken don't fix it glad i was able to come back as a bass player it's you know it's different because i've never done that in a band and i love it it's a lot of fun it's it's to me it's totally different than than being on guitar and i really like it it's a good thing Fuck, you didn't even have to do like any overdubs <laughs> i like that part a lot <laughs> you're, you're like oh i'm done i guess i'm done oh, okay i guess i'm done <laughs> yep and how the new record come about? So the new record came about. So me, Matt and I kind of had an idea to kind of kind of do kind of some more kind of like catchier kind of 77 inspired kind of stuff or whatever. And I kind of had a handful of songs and we threw some stuff back and forth and we actually rehearsed with a different drummer for, I don't know, like almost a year and re really kind of yeah. hammered down, hammered down like, some of these songs that ended up being um 
on this new record or whatever. And, you know, about a year ago, we were kind of put in a position to where, you know, we weren't able to play live shows. And we all of a sudden had quite a bit of time on our hands. I think we, I think we'd also kind of, we'd also kind of started, started kind of messing around with like some new songs or whatever, but we had this like wealth of songs that we already kind of had. And we were like, well, let's, let's see what of this stuff could work for defiance. Like th maybe this one, not maybe this one, let's try it. Alert had like a book of lyrics and we just kind of, we kind of slowly started introducing some of them and we, we took some of them that were like really rudimentary and kind of overdeveloped them, I guess. And it all fell into place pretty quick, though. Yeah. Like as soon as we started playing them, it was just like, yeah, yeah it's Defiance. Here we are recording yeah. again. So oh, this sounds just like Defiance. You know, like the new record, I, I think we could have kept writing. And I, I definitely have more songs or whatever, but we kind of thought, Let, let's do let's do eight songs. That feels like a good number. It's not too long of an LP. And we can all do this like eight song 45 that we've all talked about or leave them wanting more kind of like not you know don't overdo it just like all all killer all no killer no filler all killer no filler. <laughs> like it'll be it'll be big fat grooves because it's on 45 and it'll have a really big sound or whatever so that's that's what we we're shooting for i mean i think it was really fun to do i think we did some different stuff than we've done i think we exercised each other's patience after not but it's really easy also i i, I talk about the combination of, of people and, and our how easy everything is and how much fun it is to like play shows and stuff but it's really easy to play all of your old material so i think when when it came to writing and creative input and stuff i think we hit hit some challenging points or whatever but i think it made for a great record you know I think if we wouldn't have pushed and pulled on each other, I think it wouldn't have turned out the way it did. It was frustrating at the time, I think, for, for every single person involved, except for Matt, maybe. But, you know, there was definitely challenges and certain ways things had to try to go or whatever. Um, but it, I think it ended up being really cool. I was actually pretty happy with it, like, when we first talked about writing new music. I have to admit, I was kind of a little hesitant at first because I was like, I mean, shit, I hadn't recorded with this band in 25 years or something. And I was like, I just didn't want it to sound like, oh, there's this fat old band. Their new shitty album came out trying to sound like <laughs> But it wasn't like that at all. And I was actually, I was actually surprised. Like, this, this actually sounds really fucking cool. Like, I'm pretty, I'm very critical of myself and, and bands and stuff, but I'm pretty happy with it. I think it's good. It, it's a good record. I think it came out really good. It sounds like Defiance. You won't be disappointed if you haven't heard it. Or if you don't like Defiance, you might be disappointed. <laughs> Sorry, do they have a bathroom here? Out, out that can't be avoided. <laughs> One of our uh, points, too, is like, you'll either like Defiance or you'll hate it. We don't want any, uh, anybody leaving not knowing how they feel. <laughs> 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 we definitely you, we definitely want you to leave with some kind of opinion good or bad you're gonna love the way you look i guarantee it <laughs> you're gonna love the way we make you look you're gonna hate the, the men's outhouse <laughs> some of the best times in my life were 
in defiance some of the best shows i've ever played was that chaos uk show in new york and oh yeah wasn't it and yeah. also yeah. playing with dead silence in denver was pretty awesome no. what were you guys' favorite shows you got to play i think uh, when we got to we toured with icons of filth in the early 2000s and for me that was like super cool because we were really into them and um growing up and they, we we just got to tour with them and it was like fucking cool you know traveling around the west coast for like two weeks meet you know meeting these guys and like becoming friends with these guys and like you know they're just like us from england you know it's like a, the same group of, they'd all been like friends in wales they all knew each other as kids it was just kind of like like us and it was fucking fun and cool that one was huge uh, touring with drongos for europe was really fun um playing with gbh playing with angelic upstarts conflict you know the bands growing up brookers you know that's always fun i had really fun time at that fest we i don't remember what it was called or whatever that you played tony on the east coast when we oh that one in new jersey yeah when we played with x and we like hung out with the, the guys from bad company project that did like a bad company slash uh oxymoron set that was like pretty cool because you know i met those guys but we never played with them and it was like fun to do a show with them and that was super cool oh that was that different fest that one in connecticut with the jew yeah yeah okay yeah yeah I'd say definitely some of the funnest shows i've played weren't necessarily with bands but it was like when we went to europe in 95 like because uh, that was just a few years after the fall of communism, the Iron Curtain. So a lot of our shows in Eastern Europe were fucking crazy. And scary. I mean, scary as fuck. And like, yeah, because yeah. our, our our car was wrecked in a car accident in Finland. We got dropped from like the rental company. So we toured all of Eastern Europe by bus and train. And like, just remember like soldiers like flipping us off and laughing at us like AK-47s. And we just thought big hair and like studded jackets and we we're freaks and like remember in wood poland we showed up to where we we're gonna play and it just looked like a bombed out building it was like an old movie theater where like the ceiling was collapsed in a big pile of rubble and we're like we're playing here and they're like yeah there's no electricity we're like what so they brought like a generator and eric had like a three-piece drum set you know but it was insane just like hundreds of people showed up and just went absolutely fucking ate shit and like I really enjoyed all those shows in Eastern Europe were like really just blew my mind. People, you know, traveling for four days on train to come see us and like just very appreciative and just going crazy at our shows. Those are like very memorable to me, like really kind of life changing. It was fun to be able to meet and play with bands like Kyoshike and the Barookers that, you know, we'd listen to their records and was like, wow, finally. But being able to go to these places where kids were still hungry for punk, you know, and they would do anything, you know, and I never complained, you know, having, I got a kick drum, a cymbal and a snare and okay, I'll play a punk show with that, you know, and they're doing what they can, you know, there's like maybe a crate amp sitting on a milk crate, you know, and you know, Mike, you would have to deal with it. You know, the PA was maybe one cabinet, you know, and these guys were just stoked these kids were so stoked and that that really was the fun part was being able to have that you know as uh as the excitement yeah, I mean, 
you you basically can throw any combination that you can think of. We've had to try to play out of that fucking setup. <laughs> From like, I remember me and Matt played some shows in Mexico. Uh, we played in Mexicali, where I think the bass, the guitar, and the vocals were all plugged into the same PA. <laughs> <laughs> and there was, I feel like we played in hay. I feel like we're in like a horse stable. <laughs> Yeah. Do you, do you remember that? Yeah, I think we, we did. Were in this, this fucking town, and like, there was fucking wild dogs everywhere. And like, <laughs> the, the punks would like, when you'd go to the store to get booze, they would fucking try to run over these wild dogs because they're like everywhere. Just yeah. like, I just think seeing other things, like, you know, seeing, seeing like how other parts of the world live and that we all have this thing in common or whatever it was like just so fucking crazy well and seeing how like seeing what it brings to communities like that and especially people who don't have the luxury to take it for granted right and how much it, it means kinda, to people it yeah, does absolutely. it kind of makes you less apt to go what do you mean you don't have a marshal i can play out of <laughs> yeah <laughs> where's, where's the marshal? The show where you're playing out of the out of the broke down fucking amp that barely works is probably way cooler than the show where you're playing through the expensive Marshall and you have everything you need because these people are fucking starving for it. They they yeah. they want to see this. They're not jaded or spoiled at all. Um, and that's fucking punk. That's really punk. I think. It's it's also like when you're put in that situation too, it's also really inspiring because you want to fucking even if it sounds like total shit, you Doesn't can matter. still you yeah. can still feed off of the energy that that they're putting to you and you can give that back even if it sounds yeah. like shit. It makes it you play it harder. It doesn't yeah. even matter. You didn't fucking be jumping around yeah. and you said like clang, 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 clang. But like it, it transfers, the energy transfers, and that's like that's the coolest fucking thing about punk too. I just remember real quick one uh, fun moment with all of us was at the Poor Kids Mansion when we played Los Angeles, and we get into that driveway, and there's 500 kids in a backyard, but we're sitting there, we're playing uh, I think the No Future No Hope song, and the amp breaks or something, your guitar goes out. And it was right in the guitar solo, man. But the kids sang the guitar solo. They kept the guitar went out, but they just like, you know, so I could hear that. I could hear it in unison over all the rest of the music. It kind of gave me the chills. I thought that was exciting. And that was kind of my first foray, as it were, back into the band. And I was like, wow, this is really exciting. And kids still you, dig it you used to sing some solos too eric oh yeah like the piano I mean, solo okay. and hurry up harry right we we covered hurry up harry and i did the entire piano solo with my How mouth it go again? <laughs> oh, uh, <laughs> something like that hurry up come on come on all right. All right. Have any bands inspired you the last few years? No, God. You know, I... You don't have to be nice if no, no. Not no, for me. I, every <laughs> fucking literally every time I go see GBH, I'm never let down. Like, they just, like, 
I don't know. It's just some some bands like they don't like they don't change. Coxbar is another one of those bands like when you see them, they just fucking always deliver, and it's like it's just refreshing to like you know they're older, they're different, they look different, but like if if it's really in somebody's like heart or whatever, it really shows. And like yeah, GBH Brewers is another one that like. They never disappoint. They're always like hard hitting and fucking awesome. That's inspiring to me because they're older than us, and you know. Maybe I'm a bit jaded and uh, old now, but I, I really, I've tried. I've really, really tried listening to newer bands. This might sound insulting, but it's just like even for what we do, it's already been done. So it's hard to find any originality. That was the whole idea, I guess. But nowadays it's it's really hard to find something that hasn't been done and you're like instantly like oh that sounds like oh that sounds like this it sounds like that but musically yeah it's 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 kind of it's tough to i, I haven't heard of any new bands but there's tons guess, of them so many bands though and that's sounds disrespectful to new bands but it's not you know it's just maybe well, i think it, I think with two, also with so many genres and subgenres of stuff, it's pretty easy to like go, well, let's let's just do a band that's like blitzy, you know, or let's let's do a discharge band with but mix it with Japanese punk, and then there's like there's like a formula. So I think yeah, kind of going on what Eric's saying is like when the when the creativity portion of it starts to become stripped down and removed, then it just kind of becomes uninteresting i guess to me it doesn't really matter how good the music is but if you're if it's like just co- kind of copying something else it, it could be better i lose interest in it personally but not that the most original thing is the coolest thing because there's definitely a lot of things that are very original that are very terrible <laughs> yeah by no means am i saying i'm open mind <laughs> <laughs> Where can people get your stuff? So after working with Nat and doing uh, the reissues on his label, uh, we'll be putting out the new record on Puke and Vomit. Uh, it just seemed kind of like the natural progression. We're also kind of, we're kind of partnering with people to do different pressings in different colors that are exclusive kind of regionally. So maybe there's going to be awesome. like a, a hundred red vinyl in Japan and that's it. It'll, it'll be exclusive to that. I think it kind of, it, it's going to make it more interesting. I think, you know, like there's only 50 clear that were for Portland and there's only yeah. like 50, you know, of one color or whatever of splatter. And that was only done for England or whatever. So we're kind of taking that approach because it just sounds fun and, and uh, makes it more kind of more interesting and it makes it kind of more exclusive too. Okay. Let's do the last song. The last song is called We Must Kill. So lyrically, it's, uh, I mean, just kind of like, you know, the state of things in the world and other things have been pretty crazy recently, but it's really just, the literature just like, uh, you know, there's a, these are new times, but it's the same old shit. You know, just talking about like the ignorance of like the masses and how people are they're just sheep and they accept whatever, you know, like, World leaders and politicians just toss scraps and crumbs at people's feet and they fight each other over it without fighting the real enemy. And people are just cheap. <laughs> and um, 
you know, sometimes like that song Pressure or whatever, it seems like stuff was kind of coming to a head for a little while, you know, and like, I guess that's what the song's about, just to say new times with the same old shit, you know. Uh, the executioner's axe is sharp again, but this time we must kill it. We must kill. We must right. kill. We must kill this beast of power. <laughs> <laughs> for david rodriguez i would like to say uh we're very excited to see you at punk rock bowling davy it's been too long and uh can't wait to catch up 
I thought it was a real question, so I, I was fully prepared, and I'm, I miss that little guy. So we're playing, we're, tickets go on sale July 10th. I think this will probably be out, which is also a very significant day, if you guys don't know. Um, <laughs> but uh, we're playing punk rock bowling in September, at the end of September, uh, with the unseen uh, David Rodriguez's other band, Starving Wolves, and um, Soldiers of Destruction, which are like an early English band that relocated to Vegas from like the early 80s. So we're looking forward to that. That's going to be our first uh, shows in a while.